Today we're going to begin our study in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, and uh, we'll begin in chapter 1 and verse 1 today. I'm going to call this series of messages on the book of Galatians, Standing in Freedom, Standing in Freedom. And today we'll begin by looking at a message, License, Legalism, or Liberty. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I've been looking at this book all year, and I really had it in mind that I would kind of wait till things got back to normal before I started another book series of preaching uh, through a book in the Bible. Uh, but maybe this is about as normal as it's going to be for a while. And uh, I just couldn't get away from it. I've had Isaiah on my mind for a long time. We had a lot of great sermons, out, uh, not that I preached them, just great passages uh, out of the book of Isaiah. And uh, now we're moving along then into the book of Galatians. And I believe it's going to be a blessing to us to look at this marvelous New Testament epistle. Our title, Standing in Freedom, is derived from what is perhaps the key verse of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, which says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. You know, there's something about the word freedom. It means a lot to us here in America. Perhaps it means more to us in the United States of America. It means things to us in our nation that maybe it doesn't mean in other parts of the world. Uh, it in many ways defines our nation to be a part of the United States. is to enjoy a legacy of freedom that is guaranteed to us by our constitutional form of government. But you know, it's one thing to declare ourselves to be free. It's even something to write it down on a document that says we are free. But it's another thing to enjoy that freedom and then to maintain that freedom. That's a challenge. And it's certainly a challenge before us today. But if freedom defines us and depicts us as Americans, it even more defines us as Christians, as the children of God. Uh, Chuck Swindoll called the book of Galatians a letter for liberation. But you know, uh, this passage is all talking to us about our freedom. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 in the MEV has, For freedom Christ freed us. Stand fast therefore and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Galatians 5 and 1 in the NIV says, it is, free, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ freed us. You see, he not only wanted us to have freedom, he wanted us to enjoy our freedom, to experience that freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But long before Paul wrote the book of Galatians, Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You see, the main issue between Jesus and, and the Jews of his day, an issue that kept building and building and building and building until eventually 
Jesus was crucified because of it. That main issue had to do with the source of our salvation. Jesus was preaching freedom. And he promised them, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And yet the Jewish leaders of their day were teaching the law as a basis for righteousness before God. And they had turned it into a rigid set of rules and regulation that gave them iron-fisted control over the people. They hated Jesus' message of freedom. And in spite of the fact that Jesus came to offer that freedom and came not to destroy the law, he said, but to fulfill the law so that he fulfilled the law in all of its divine requirements. Yet in spite of all that, he was hated and they crucified him because he rejected their rules and their regulations and their religious rituals. But he didn't just end there. Because it surfaced again. And we'll see that in the expression of our text that addresses the churches of Galatia. The churches of Galatia. You see, this book was written at a pivotal time in the Christian faith. And it's important for us to understand that historical setting. So that we can understand then what the book of Galatians is offering us. When Paul made his trip through the southern portion of Galatia, he went to Antioch in Pisidia, not to be confused with Antioch in Syria, which is just right next to Judea, just a little bit north of there. This is all the way over in the land you might have known as Asia Minor or Turkey, as we call it today. Um, This was Antioch in Pisidia, a a part of the province of Galatia, as was the city of Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So when Paul addresses the churches of Galatia, He has at least those four churches in mind. But there might have been others that simply aren't named for us in the book of Acts. Their story is told in Acts chapter 13 and 14 and then on into chapter 15 as we see the setting then of this great book. Now when Paul started out on this journey, he went to Antioch in Pisidia and there he went into the synagogue and began to preach now that great sermon that he preached there is almost recorded for us in Acts chapter 13 and I really don't think they recorded it all word for word it would have taken up a lot more room than that Uh, but he does give us all the high points of that great sermon that Paul preached in the synagogue in uh, Antioch in Pisidia or Pisidia He preached that lengthy message. And after the message, we find this in verse 43. When the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. So Paul goes into the synagogue in this city and begins to preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that incredible sermon, there were many there that day who believed. And the word of what he was preaching spread throughout the whole town so that the next Sabbath day, the whole city, Luke says, had came together to hear Paul preach. They couldn't all fit into that building no more than the whole city of Cabot could fit in here. Imagine if we had such a service that the next Sunday, the whole city of Cabot showed up and, and wouldn't it be great? Filled up the parking lot. All the back here, back behind us. I don't know how we'd deal with it. I don't know how they dealt with it. No doubt they were surrounding the synagogue. The Jews had never seen that kind of crowd before. And they were moved with envy that they'd come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul preached unto them. 
And uh, as a result then, uh, Paul would say in verse 46, when he saw the opposition of the Jews, he said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed and notice the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region two services two two Sabbath day sermons and Paul preached and the whole city was called into it but then the Bible tells us that the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ began to spread over the whole state the whole region the whole province then was hearing the message of Jesus Christ and the freedom that he offers to us well as a result of this uh, the Bible says that uh, they invited them to leave Basically, they got kicked out of the county, not just kicked out of town. And so they would send them to the next city, uh, which was Iconium. And it happened in Iconium chapter 14, verse 1, that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. The Bible says he stayed there for a long time. That probably meant several months that he stayed in Iconium preaching the gospel and teaching people who responded about the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. But oh, they were facing fierce opposition from the Jews who were so zealous for the law and who hated the message of Jesus Christ and the freedom that it offered them. Interestingly, the Bible says that they poisoned the minds of people. We talk about poisoning a well or poisoning the water. Uh, a lot of that comes from this passage. They poisoned the minds of people against the message that Paul was preaching. The city was divided. And ultimately a conspiracy was made and a violent attempt was made on Paul's life. News of it though came to him and so they left and they went on to the city of Lystra. And when he arrived there in the city of Lystra and Derby, uh, other cities in Galatia, they began not to preach the gospel in the synagogue, but instead uh, they were apparently out in the streets. There was a man there who was born without the ability to walk. He had a congenital birth defect that had affected both of his legs. We don't know whether his legs were too short. I mean, any kind of possibility was there. Anything that happens that is a birth defect that affects a person's ability to walk so that they have never been able to walk in their entire life, we can picture that in our mind. Any way we picture that, I can't tell you. The Bible just simply tells us that he was lame from birth. He was unable to walk, never took a step in his life. This man was listening to Paul preach. And Paul saw him. And he healed him. Uh, not in the name of Paul, but in the name of Jesus Christ. As they did all the miracles that were done there. And when people saw this man who had never been able to walk suddenly up and walking. They immediately decided that uh, Paul and Barnabas were a couple of their Greek pagan gods. They called out their priest and put up a parade and brought in some cattle going to make a sacrifice to them. And the Bible tells us that they were just scarcely able to restrain them and to convince them that they weren't Greek gods. We can understand how they would feel that way. I mean, this was an incredible miracle that was done. 
And they would immediately, in their superstition and in their false religion, they would immediately associate that with the idea that a God had come to them in order to do this. But that was not it. There was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had come then to perform this miracle in his name. Then the Bible goes on. Verse 19, but Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and drug him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. You see, the plot they started in Iconium, they've now finished it here in Lister and Derby. They stoned him. What does that mean? It means they picked up rocks and a mob then would surround him and they'd start throwing rocks and throwing rocks and throwing rocks aiming at his head and we can see him knocked down on his knee and then closing around him and throw it and bash it against their head until finally his lifeless body was before them and the rage of the mob was still. They drug him out of the city, left him like a dead animal. That wasn't the end of the story. The disciples came out and gathered around him, no doubt with the intention of taking his body up and burying him. <laughs> what a surprise they got. Paul got up. He stood up. We can only imagine what he looked like after having been stoned and having his head beaten with those rocks and, and the, the beating and the bruises. I don't know. That may not have been there. God might have completely healed all those too. I don't know. But I know one thing, that Paul got up and he went right back into town. Verse 21, when he preached the gospel to that city, uh, he made many disciples then. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Huh. Take that, guys. Stone me to death. I'll come back and start preaching anyway. That's what Paul did. And then went right back to all those other cities. And all of those cities were the province of Galatia. These were the churches in Galatia that Paul is writing to after this, then they would return to their home base, the church in Antioch in Syria, the church that had sent them out, their home church, and they gave a report. And when they got there, they found that the same thing they were fighting in the province of Galatia had broken out right there in their own home church in Antioch. Chapter 15 and verse 1, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, <laughs> I bet it wasn't a small dissension. After he'd been stoned and hounded the way he had over there and then come back and find it in his own church, you think he might have got a little fired up? I think he probably did. No small dissension with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Don't have time today to talk about all that council in Jerusalem. It was quite the meeting, no doubt. Uh, but eventually the apostles would rule that the Gentiles did not have to keep the law that the Gentile men did not have to be circumcised, did not have to follow the law of Moses. And that was a glorious truth. It didn't mean that it settled the issue. The, set, the issue would continue to go on and on and affect uh, Paul and his dealings and affect his ministry. It would continue to come into the churches for years. It wasn't just a matter of their beliefs. 
It's a matter of blood. It's turned to bloodshed. And in many ways, this wouldn't stop until Paul was dead. And he would die from an executioner's sword in Rome. Because he preached freedom in Christ to those who wanted people under the bondage of the iron fist of legalism. We might look at this then and conclude that since this is a historical setting of the book, that though it's wonderful to read about, it might not have much to do with this. But I want you to rethink your thinking. I will grant you that there's not a bunch of guys coming around to churches these days trying to tell us that we've got to keep the law of Moses. However, there are multitudes of Christian denominations in the world today that do believe that you have to keep the law of Moses. And they are teaching that. There's even a group called Seventh-day Baptists who believe that though you're saved by grace through faith, yes, you still have to keep all of the Old Testament law. That principle is still with us. But the battle for liberty is very real. And it's getting worse. It's not getting better. And the issue for you and I today is are we going to stand in the liberty that Christ has made us free with or will we put ourselves back under a yoke of bondage? This title of the message today suggested three possibilities. I want to go through those very quickly with you this morning. First of all, there is the possibility of license. That is the basis of a New Testament concept called licentiousness. We don't use that word every day. It is also a New Testament word sometimes translated lasciviousness, but they mean the same thing. It is built on the idea that we have a license. Uh, we have been written out then, a license as it were, to live in an unrestrained manner. Originally, it referred to uncontrolled passion or lust or unrestrained conduct in a general way. But the idea of it is simply expressed. There's nothing wrong. You can do anything you want, and it's not wrong. Many of you, like me, grew up in what was called the sexual revolution, and Playboy in Hollywood brought an age of promiscuity to America. If that was the beginning of it, it certainly wasn't the end of it, because now it has moved to the day where matters of sexual practice have become the ruling issue that takes precedence over all matters, other matters of conscience. And if you think it's been bad up till now, and it has been bad, it's going to get worse. The Supreme Court has already ruled that sexual rights, though they are not found identified anywhere in the Constitution, yet they have ruled that sexual rights, in fact, overrule religious rights, which are found and spelled out very clearly in the Constitution. And the Supreme Court's already issued this ruling. Uh, matters are already before both houses of conference, Congress that has been passed and won that would prohibit uh, any church even from uh, discriminating against the hiring of someone uh, because of their sexual preference. Sexual rights then are being said to trump, yes, even religious rights. They take precedence over all matters of conscience and conviction in America. License. Under licentiousness, you see, there is nothing wrong, and anything goes, and anybody who tells them that it is wrong becomes the enemy, speaking hatefully, 
Uh, it's, it, I don't have to belabor this point. You know it. You see it well. It's all over the world around us today. It is also possible then to go in the other direction. Uh, the idea of license uh, doesn't deliver anybody from bondage. It keeps them in, in bondage. Sin uh, breeds one thing, and that's more sin. Uh, people are struggling then because they have no peace in their sinfulness. They're looking for something that will plug in their life and that will make them feel at peace within themselves. They're longing for something that makes them feel right. And they're thinking that sin is going to do that. But all sin does is call for more sin. So if we do one thing bad, then we've got to do something else worse. And it just is a never-ending vicious cycle. It turns into a, an addiction and people find themselves literally, literally in bondage to sin. License doesn't give you freedom. You may think you're free. You may call yourself free. I can do anything you want. Yes, but you cannot choose the consequences of those things. And many times they're devastating. License then gives no freedom. Then there's legalism, the other side of the coin. If if license tells you you can't do anything that's wrong, legalism tells you you can never do enough right. We saw it in chapter 15, verse 1, where they talked about their salvation. But you can't really be saved unless you're circumcised according to the custom of the law of Moses. This brings people into bondage over all the ways that they keep trying to earn God's favor. As if salvation somehow isn't enough. That the grace of God isn't enough. You have to somehow, some way, bring God's favor on your life through works. That's legalism. Now, though the manifestation might change... The basic idea of it never does change. It is manifested, for example, in the area that people uh, believe, and many, many people believe this, that yes, you are saved by grace through faith, but then you've got to keep yourself saved by your own works. Uh, Some years ago, I witnessed to a man literally for weeks. He was dying, and I'd see him regularly, and every time I went to see him, I witnessed to him. I witnessed to him because he told me he had given up on the Christian life. He held the idea that, you see, you couldn't really be saved unless you could live it. And he said, you know, I couldn't live it. And no matter how hard I tried, he said, I couldn't do everything I needed to do. And I couldn't stop doing everything that I needed to stop doing. I just couldn't live it. And he said, I gave up on it. I wanted the man to die with peace. I wanted him to die understanding that he had a relationship with God. If he was truly saved at that point in his life, I knew that he was already saved. But he had no peace. None. I wish I could say that he he got right and he got it right in his mind before he died, but he didn't. He went into a coma and then he was gone. I hope when I get to heaven I'll see him. But that is just one of multitudes of people that I have talked to and that you have talked to who absolutely believe that salvation is by grace through faith. But you got to live it. You've got to do this and do that, and you've got to not do this and don't do that. And it all comes down then to our own works, as if salvation in Christ is not enough. This puts you in the performance trap, and there's no way out of it. You never feel like you've done enough. How can you? You can never feel like you've avoided sin enough. How can you? You never can know for sure that you confessed everything that you ever did wrong and got forgiveness. And there it is right there always hanging around again. The root of this folk is legalism. That's what it goes back to. It is the idea that faith is one thing. But then you've got to complete that by your own works. 
and bring that all in. That's the bondage of legalism and the performance track trap. If you think that you just never can do enough to be accepted of God. It's a sad thing when you think about it. Because the Bible tells us we're accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in Jesus Christ. We're trying to gain our, God's approval by our own works. And we don't realize that what we're working so hard to get, we've already got in Jesus Christ. And so legalism is that other side of the coin. License is one side of the coin. There's no peace, no joy, no, nothing but bondage under the license to sin. Nothing but bondage under legalism. And instead, this Bible, this book in the Bible will present to us then the liberty that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 3, grace be to you and peace. Aren't those two great words? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. From God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Now, we'll consider uh, these concepts in more detail later. But I can tell you that the basic and glorious truth presented here of our grace and peace through Jesus Christ comes only because he has delivered us from our sins and from this present evil world. Grace and peace are not found under legalism. Grace and peace are not found under license. Both of those bring us back into bondage. It's no wonder that the Gentiles flock to hear this glorious message of grace and peace. It's no wonder that the Jews fought so hard to destroy it. And so on the one hand today there are those who call evil good and those who call good evil. They see any restraint against anything they want to do as some kind of hate-filled repression. They're in bondage to sin and you don't know it. And I may be preaching to somebody that's in that crowd right now. You're in bondage to sin. You feel the power of it. You feel the disgrace of it. The shame of it. The hurt of it. You long to be free of it. I want to remind you of this great passage of scripture. Jesus gave himself for our sins. That he might deliver us from this present evil world. Jesus Christ offers us forgiveness of our sins and he offers us freedom, liberty. On the other hand, there are those who no matter how hard they try, no matter how much they do, they can never feel that they're good enough. Insecurity is eating them up on the inside. They're constantly trying to earn God's approval. Legalism shows up in another way and that's pride. Remember, Jesus talked about a group of people that couldn't give an offering without blowing the trumpets before they did it. Dun, 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 dun. Wanted everybody to see here. And Jesus responded to that. Listen, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. He said, even hide it from yourself. Because if you're not careful, pride will get in the way. But that's legalism that makes us do that. It makes us want everybody to see. It's all about the show. It's all about appearances. And uh, keeping the rules. And listen, we clean up good. Legalism can make you look pretty good. But on the inside, you'll be full of insecurity. On the inside, you'll be as miserable as the people are who are in bondage to sin. And you won't be content to keep that misery to yourself. You'll try to spread it to others. 
the offer of this great epistle is simply expressed. Grace and peace through Jesus Christ. I believe that the book of Galatians is one of the most pertinent books that we can consider at this day and time in our country. Because you and I, as God's people, are going to face incredible pressure in days ahead from both sides. And we need to understand where the true source of our freedom is. We need to know where the true source of our grace and peace is. Grace and peace. We need to know where our deliverance is from this present evil world. And it's not in our own performance. It's in what Jesus Christ has done for us. The bill's going to come and our praise team and lead us in our time of invitation and another song. I want to ask you all to stand at this time and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And as we do so, I want to encourage you to think about what you've heard today. Have you lost your peace? Are you feeling that deep sense of something wrong? It might be that you've turned to licentiousness, license. It might mean you've been all about appearances, keeping up, uh, putting on the show through legalism. Are you ready for the liberty, real liberty in Jesus Christ? I'd love to take the Word of God and show you how you can have it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.